are we all doing? Is there anybody there? Yes. How are we doing? Good. We survived the storms. Well, we survived this week's storms. Yes. Yes. Okay. So when we looked at Romans 1 to 6 in our online services, my dad asked if we're going to continue with us today at some stage. And I said, we probably will. And he said, well, I've got some notes on Romans 8 so you can use them. And I said, no, dad. I won't use them. You can use them. You speak about Romans 8. I'll take another chapter. And when we were planning, I said I'd do today. Then I read, and Will said last week, that Tim Keller says Romans chapters 9 to 11 are some of the most difficult in the Bible to understand. And you know, when you say yes to something and then you regret it, why didn't I say, thanks, Dad? Uh, you can do Romans 10 instead. But so here we go. Okay. So we're in chapter 10. And just at, just at the start, can I encourage you to be reading the book of Romans outside of Sundays as well? You know, we're not reading the whole passage in one go here. We'll go through the verses. But take time to read it in, in your own time as well. Because chapter 10 continues the themes that we've looked at so far and develops them further again. And it starts with Paul saying, it's his heart's desire and prayer, prayer to God that the Israelites may be saved. And we heard last week that Paul said he was even willing to give up his own salvation that the Israelites would receive it. And as I studied this passage, I have to admit, I took some comfort in Paul's struggles. And his probable frustration as well. Let me explain and, and let me ask you a question. Do you desire to see people coming to righteousness and salvation? That's good, that's good. Is there someone in particular you wish would say yes to Jesus. You know, you've invited them to church. They come around the house and you put the latest worship CD on or you're in the car and you, you slip them the, the latest Christian hit. But it doesn't seem to make any difference. Yeah? Is this resounding with anybody? Yeah, no, some, some of you are obviously excellent evangelists. But if, it's, if it did ring a bell for you, we're perhaps left thinking, aren't we? I must not be very good at this. I must not, not be very good at sharing the good news. And yet, we read here in Romans that Paul, despite Jesus' time on earth being in living memory, Paul's miraculous testimony of transformation, his passion, his gift as a communicator, and his status, Paul is not seeing his people receive the gift being offered to them. And I found that quite reassuring. Yeah? Well, I did, even if you didn't. Um, <laughs> It's reassuring in some ways. If people didn't respond to Paul sharing the good news, perhaps I shouldn't be too hard on myself. But, you know, how should we react to knowing that even Paul struggled? Do we say, do we give up? It's like, what's the point? Not even the Apostle Paul himself could enlighten this lot. Well, hopefully we don't take that stance. Paul didn't say the Israelites aren't going to get this song, just going to stick to, to the Gentiles. He took this resistance from the Israelites and he pressed further into God, didn't he? He was praying for a breakthrough in that situation. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. It bothered him, but it maintained the hope that they would come to salvation. And this morning, knowing that there are people who are lost, who haven't got salvation yet, should bother us. It should stir us. Uh, and if you're asking, what can I do? You can pray. We can all pray. I was going to ask permission, but they're not here, but I'm going to say anyway. The households at the prayer meeting the other week, someone said, oh, did you have a good break over, 
over Christmas, they went away and they said, yes, we had lots of opportunity to witness. And it stopped me because I thought, that's not my usual measure of a good holiday. Yeah? How many times you witness isn't usually a measure of a good holiday. But, you know, they, they, we, pray, we, we thanked the households a few years ago for their service. And they kind of retired from in, in church service. But they continue to serve because they've got a passion. They want to, they want to uh, see people connected there. Ask them about the holiday if it were next time they're here. Because they ended up with a, with a Christian entertainer on the holiday um, there. But in verse 1, Paul focuses... On his, on his fellow Israelites who'd rejected Jesus. And, his prayer, and it was his prayer for them that they come to salvation. Then in verses 2 and 3, Paul describes their determination to depend on their own righteousness. In verse 2, Paul comments that the Israelites are zealous for God. For I can testify that they are zealous for God. But it pains him that they have such zeal without knowledge. Now, Paul could testify of the zeal of the Israelites for himself as he was zealous for keeping the law before his conversion, wasn't he? He was willing to go to almost any lengths to do so, yeah? And it wasn't a bad thing that the Israelites recognised the importance of honouring God. And, that their, and you know what, their zeal had the potential to be a huge strength for them in their relationship with God, if they accepted it. But the problem was, their zeal was not in line with the truth. Their good intentions didn't help them and actually, zeal without knowledge can be dangerous. Now, as I was thinking about this, my mind went back to the comics that I read as a child. The, I was a Beano boy. Yeah? Yeah? Dandy? Topper? Buster? Yeah? I didn't read Bunty. No. Well, it wasn't for me. But as a child, I was thinking back to Dennis Amenis. And, you know, when he was told that he had to help others, he was promised a reward if he was good. And the story would go, he'd see an old lady stood at the side of the road and he'd help her to cross that road only for her to turn around and whack him with her handbag or something and say, I was waiting for the bus over there, I didn't even want to cross the road. He had the zeal, but he didn't have the knowledge. Yeah, anybody remember that? And we see problems of religious zeal without knowledge in the world, at work in the world today, don't we? Religious zealots prepared to fight on the grounds of religion, willing to martyr themselves because their knowledge is false or incomplete. Zeal without knowledge can be dangerous. But that's the situation with the Israelites. They were ignoring the righteousness that comes from God that we read in verse 3. They knew that God is righteous, but they didn't know or couldn't perhaps understand, or, or, sorry, they didn't know or perhaps would not accept that he could count humans as righteous unless they kept the law perfectly. They were therefore, because they didn't accept the righteousness, seeking instead to establish their own righteousness because they were spiritually ignorant. We read in, in Romans 9.33, Jesus is described as a stone laid in Zion that causes men to stumble and fall. They cannot accept that all they have to do is say yes to the offer from Jesus and they stumble over it. You know, and this spiritual ignorance, it's not limited to the Jews back in Paul's time, is it? People today believe that God is real. They may agree with the Ten Commandments, or most of them, and think, you know, if I'm good, we should be okay. I may not be the best, but I'm certainly not the worst. I've never robbed a bank, despite um, the words last week from Will. I've never killed anybody. And they have this idea or hope that God's judgment works like a set of scales. 
After you die, God puts your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds on the other. And hopefully, the good outweighs the bad. Yeah, that's a spiritual ignorance. And it's deadly because it leads to a rejection of Jesus Christ. And as a result, people end up, people look into their works. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Because God's righteousness and our righteousness are just polar opposites, aren't they? Without Christ, our right standing with God is impossible. It was Isaiah who said, our righteous acts are like filthy rags, 64 verse 6. He was talking about self-righteousness, the things that we do to try and make us look right with God. You know, it can look good on the outside and it can be noticed by others, but inside it's not good. We can perhaps be guilty of that ourselves, can't we? We can try and look holy, but actually we're trusting ourselves to be good enough for God. We're seeking him based on our own righteousness and what we can accomplish. Because we've got to accept God's righteousness by grace. It doesn't come by works. And as long as people look to what they do, they're not going to accept the gift that's on offer, that's revealed by the gospel. Zeal to honour God, to serve him is good, but it does not make a scrap of difference to our salvation, does it? Rather than our zeal being, on the, ba- rather than our zeal being the basis of our salvation, our salvation should be the basis for our zeal. Yeah? We carry on in verse 4. Paul spells it out in a way that would have been startling for the Israelites. Christ is the culmination or the end of the law. He was confronting the religious zealots head on here. Paul states that Christ has ended the law in terms of it being a way to establish your own righteousness. It's an amazing truth. It would have been a revelation for them. But it's difficult to accept unless your heart's aligned with the truth of God's word. And verse 4 ends with the words, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The law had been given to the Israelites, but Paul's highlighting that by ending righteousness through the law, a way has been made and righteousness through faith is now available to everybody, Jew and Gentile. Which is good news for us today, isn't it? Yes. It's better news than that, isn't it? Yes. We don't have to rely on what we do to please God. He's pleased with us on the basis of faith in Jesus. There's nothing we can do to add to it. He looks at us and he sees us completely whole, righteous and justified. We stand before him as if we'd never sinned. What a blessing it is to submit to to the righteousness of God. And here Paul concludes that righteousness can't be obtained through our efforts to keep the law. It must be given through Christ, received by faith, not works, and it's available to Gentiles as well as Jews. The chapter we started, didn't we, with Paul praying for the Israelites that they may be saved. But he's not just praying, he continues to try and state the case alongside his prayers. Throughout this section of Romans, Paul uses the Old Testament for support verses that the Israelites would have known and believed. We look at Romans 5, he quotes Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. You know, on first reading it appears that Moses was teaching that salvation was possible by keeping the law. But actually all he was saying is that if you could obey, the page just flipped over, if you could obey, 
Boris Johnson. Uh, bear with. Bear with. I shouldn't have stayed late at the party. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. <laughs> if we could obey the law perfectly, you could receive eternal life. But of course we know that is true, isn't it? Because the life of Jesus demonstrates it. Jesus kept the law perfectly. Yeah? But Moses himself hadn't kept the law and he knew he knew the reality of trying to do so i was going to put there it wasn't humanly possible but i stopped myself because you know what jesus kept the law and was fully man yeah it wasn't jesus was some sort of superman he was god at the same time and we have not got time to go into this i've tried to write an assignment on it but jesus as fully man fully human kept all the law yeah We go on, in the next two verses, Paul goes back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, some verses say the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses has told the Israelites that God did not choose them because they were righteous. And because he's told them they weren't chosen because they're righteous, they should have known that God could reveal himself to anybody. Sinners and the Gentiles. Moses told the Israelites that the commandments are revealed rather than hidden. And God's word to them was readily available in Deuteronomy 30. And Paul applied this principle to Christ and the gospel. The word of God in the gospel is easy to obtain. Faith knows that we don't need to do anything to be righteous. We do not need to scale heaven because Christ has already come down and he's already risen, overcoming death, dealing with our sins. It's a completed work. What's on offer is a completed work. It takes no effort on our part, does it? But Paul continues, what does it say in verse 8? And he quotes Deuteronomy 30 verse 14. The word is near, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Now the book of Deuteronomy is referring to the law. And so it goes on to say, it is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. But Paul doesn't quote that because he's applying the principle to the gospel, not the law. He says instead, the message of faith that we proclaim. Sorry, that is the message of faith that we proclaim. The message about righteousness through faith is near you. It's not hard to find. And people, Paul is showing that Moses knew, knew something more than the law was required and that God had done all that was required. Moses knew that faith is simply what you say with your mouth because you believe in your heart. Zeal with knowledge means trusting Christ for righteousness, setting him as the foundation of life and obeying the law of gratitude. It's sharing the good news out of love. But you know what we talked about, we guys spread the message. What is the message that we're proclaiming? Well, verse 9 explains, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So firstly, we must know, we must know the truth of the message. So we've got to know it. Knowing the truth of Jesus the person, it says, declare Jesus is Lord. The Greek word Paul uses for Lord here is kurios. 
And in the Greek Old Testament, the word kurios was a translation for God's personal name of Yahweh. So by calling Jesus kurios, he's referring to his deity and he's also claiming that he has supreme authority over all the world. It was a knowledge of Jesus' work, knowledge and belief he was raised from the dead and belief in his life, death and resurrection. And secondly, so we've got to know the truth. Secondly, he says we must believe in the truth of the message. We've got to give up our trust in our own efforts. Our own efforts to be righteous and believe that Christ's righteousness on our behalf, his work for us, is sufficient. Now Paul shows how accessible true righteousness is and restates the truth of the previous verse, verse 9, in verse 10. And on first reading though, it can appear that Paul's introducing two steps to righteousness. Three steps to heaven, two steps to righteousness. Confess verbally and believe internally. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness and with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. Believe and confess. He puts those two ideas on a parallel, not distinctly different. And you know, parallelism, parallelism, yeah. Parallelism was a feature of the Old Testament Hebrew poetry. And there is no uh, substantive difference here between the belief and confession. And we need to know that, otherwise it appears that Paul could be contradicting the rest of the book of Romans. Yeah, it could appear that he's introduced the need for some kind of work for us to be saved. He's not. We just, instead, we just need to transfer all our hopes, our plans from our hands and put them in the control of Christ. And we do so with a guarantee that there will be no regrets of doing so. The law required obedience, but the gospel just requires acceptance. Paul notes in verse 11, the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's quoted, Paul's quoting there from Isaiah 28 verse 16. And I'll put the Old Testament references on the, on the screen as well, if you wanted to, to follow them. It's a quote from Isaiah 28 verse 16, which says that God will lay a cornerstone in Zion for a sure foundation, and people who have faith in this cornerstone will not be found short on the day of judgment. It's quoting back to chapter 9 verse 33 again, but he just repeats the part about believing in Christ as the key to salvation. And then Paul goes on to repeat a favourite theme of his. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek or the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here he's quoting Joel chapter 2 verse 32. Salvation comes by calling on the Lord, looking, for him, looking to him for salvation. In Joel, the Lord is called Yahweh. But Paul uses the verse here. For Christ, also showing that he accepts that Jesus is God. Yeah? Yeah? Deity, Jesus accepts that Jesus is God. And righteousness comes by accepting that Jesus is Lord and as our Lord. But the problem that we've got is that Paul's own people, they're not getting it, are they? They're rejecting the message. And he highlights this in verse 14 when he says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? 
They've got to call, the Israelites have got to call on the Lord to be saved. But you know, if the Israelites just thought that people, that Jesus was just a crucified criminal, if that's all he was, if he wasn't the Messiah, they're not going to call on him, are they? Because they don't believe. He continues, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And Paul comments here that before anyone can believe, they must first hear. I don't think that Paul's thinking that someone just hearing something briefly in passing is enough though. What they hear has to penetrate their understanding. This week, I mentioned the storms. Just think about it. We had the storm warnings this week, didn't we? Yeah. Yellow, amber, red in places. People heard that storms were coming. They heard the storms posed a risk to life. But despite that, some people decided to get in the sea and go swimming. Yeah? You see those images? They heard. They must have heard. But they didn't hear. Yeah? They heard, but they didn't hear. I'll put that example down. Another one came to me at the back when I was stood, stood there. Justine says sometimes, I told you that was happening. And I say, no, you didn't. She said, yes, I did, and you answered me. I said, no, I didn't. She said, you did, you answered me. I heard, but I didn't hear. And it works the other way sometimes as well. Usually, Justine's good at talking and asleep. You go up and say something, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And next day, she's got no recollection whatsoever. But Tim Keller puts it this way. You don't get saved by just reading the Bible. The message of the Bible needs to be really heard and understood from reading it, yeah? You don't just get it from, from reading it. You have to hear it and understand it. And Paul continues with this theme. How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? People respond. People get salvation and righteousness, in most cases, through, as a response to preaching. Yeah, about hearing the good news from somebody. The message has got to be communicated in some way. Here the word preaching is translated to keriso, which means to be a herald or to make announcements. Literally making announcements in the marketplace and on the streets. But there's a question, who's going to do the communicating? Who's going to be sent out to give the message? Well, didn't Jesus send out his disciples to share the good news? The followers of Jesus? The followers of Jesus would be the beautiful feet bringing the good news or the feet bringing the beautiful news. Paul's emphasising the importance of evangelism here. It's absolutely necessary. How can people believe unless they hear? But it requires somebody who's willing to go. It's not just about telling the good news as an element of persuasion, explanation, so people understand the importance of what they have heard. And it can't just be the speaker's opinions, it's got to be a revelation of Christ himself. Verse 15, let's look at that again. It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It's quoted from the Greek version of Isaiah 52 verse 7, which uses the, the common New Testament verb for preaching the gospel. There, carry so. 
the thing is, the Israelites didn't recognise the beauty, did they? They didn't recognise it. They didn't get it. And the final verses of Romans 10 deal with more excuses for the Jews, the Israelites not understanding what was going to happen if they continued to reject God's message and the messenger. And Paul continues his, his use of Old Testament quotes to reinforce the outcome of Israel's rejection. Verse 16, but not all the Israelites have accepted the good news. For Isaiah, this is 50, Isaiah 53 verse 1, says, Lord, who has believed our message? But not all the Israelites have accepted the good news. That word accepted is perhaps better translated as obeyed. But not all the Israelites have obeyed the good news. People didn't obey the message. And that, that, that had been a problem, a long problem for Israelites. Found throughout the history of Israel. And it's ironic, isn't it, in some ways, that the Jews were insisting that they could gain righteousness through obeying God. But in doing so, they were disobeying him. Yeah? They felt that they could get righteousness by obedience. But in doing so, they were actually disobeying God. Isaiah says that the message has to be believed. It's a matter of faith. And one of Paul's favourite topics, because the Jews lack faith in the word of Christ. So Paul says in verse 11, consequently, sorry, verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And Paul's completing the evangelistic sequence from verse 15. It's got to be heard and it's got to be received. People need to hear the message before they believe it. But it's not enough just to hear the words, as we said. In verse 18, Paul, Paul asks, But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, which is a quote from Psalm 19, verse 4. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And Tim Keller comments that the quotations are a little surprising, perhaps, but suggests that it's a reference to the gospel news being widespread. But also Paul's thinking here about the Jews. And wherever there was a Jewish community, the gospel would have been preached and the Jews would have heard the news. He continues in verse 19, Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, this is in Deuteronomy 32 verse 21, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Israel had failed with their obedience, hadn't they? They'd failed and God had told them in advance that he would work with other peoples. The verse revealed to Paul what God was doing through his ministry. He wanted, God wanted the salvation of the Gentiles to make the Israelites jealous. Jealous for what they were missing out of. So that they would accept the gospel. And that's what Paul was working so hard to achieve. We continue. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. This is verse 20 and he's quoting Isaiah 65 verse 1. Isaiah is talking about, a wayward, about wayward Israelites, but Paul applies it here to the Gentiles. If God can reveal himself to those who haven't asked for, for him, that is the Gentiles, then he can do it to anybody, yeah? So it's not that the, the Israelites were... Um, didn't seek him even if they didn't seek him God could still reveal themselves reveal himself what we read here is about God turning away from those religious uh, uh, with religious zeal and he blessed the people 
who didn't even know what to ask for. And Paul concludes the chapter by saying, But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He's not mincing his words here, is he? He's quoting Isaiah 65 verse 2 here. God did not want the Jewish people to go astray, but they did not believe, they would not listen. The opportunity for for salvation was there, but they were refusing it. You know, this chapter challenges us that everyone is responsible for how we treat the message of Christ. Everyone. And you may be here today and you've not heard the message before. The message is, you can be reconciled with your Heavenly Father through just by saying, Lord, I accept what you did on the cross for me. That's the message. Do we accept it? Do, you, do we allow that message to transform our lives? If we do, as Christians, we're then responsible for communicating that message of Christ to others. Yeah? Doing so, ensuring, so we can ensure that no one around us can say they have not heard or they have not understood. So, our responsibility, what we do with the message ourselves. Have we heard it ourselves? Have we understood it ourselves? A responsibility to pray for others, as Paul was doing at the start of the chapter. A responsibility to put aside self-righteousness for reliance on Christ. And a responsibility to communicate the good news and helping others understand it. That's our responsibility that we look at in the book of Romans, chapter 10.